The Perfect Stress Podcast does not provide medical or nutritional advice, nor is it a substitute for medical or nutritional advice, and is not intended for the prevention, cure, or mitigation of any medical condition or disease. This podcast provides information only. Please consult a physician or nutritionist for advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perfect Stress Podcast, where we walk that fine line between being productive and overdoing it and triggering stress-related symptoms. I'm Adam Darrow, your host and founder of MyStressAlarm.com. So today, I wanted to talk about avoiding stress, because we always talk about managing stress, including monitoring it and reducing your workload, as well as stress-relieving treatments. But if you could avoid stress altogether, then you don't need to manage it, right? Now, one way to help avoid stress is through cognitive therapy. I went into some detail on this in episode 59, Do You Have a Comprehensive Approach to Managing Stress? Now, I'm no expert, but with cognitive therapy, you explore each of your stressors and challenge your beliefs to make sure that it's something even worth stressing over. In other words, you're trying to first acknowledge your notions and beliefs and separating them from facts so that you can explore other possible, legitimate, plausible scenarios. And should you discover uh, another scenario, maybe one that's much more likely than what you've been believing up till now, and it has nothing to do with you personally, then that's a weight lifted off your shoulders, right? So you've eliminated the stress. It's gone. There's nothing to manage anymore. Dare I say it, it is superior to chronic stress monitoring, except for one thing. It's very difficult. But, you know, I guess that as they say, no pain, no gain. But today I'd like to focus on another source of stress other than cognitively, and that's working with other people. Whether you're a freelancer or an entrepreneur or work in a corporate environment, chances are you're working with other people, right? Could be your clients, your boss, coworkers. And for purposes of this discussion, I want to focus on the sort of the engagement process between parties, uh, the mechanics of that, um, as opposed to the challenges of working with different personalities and, and that sort of thing. But things you can do to avoid stress in the first place. You can't avoid all stress, so that can't be the goal. But certainly, if there are things you can do to help avoid pitfalls and the resulting stress, then that's going to make your life that much easier. So, at the most basic level, the relationship between you and someone else is going to be someone has work that needs to be done and hires the other person to do it. So whether you're a full-time employee or a freelancer, you're being hired to do a job. If you're a manager in a company who delegates responsibility or an entrepreneur who outsources certain smaller projects because you don't have the expertise or the interest in doing something yourself, um, or perhaps you're a homeowner who hires a contractor to remodel your bathroom, you're hiring someone else to do that work. Now, Take the latter example, hiring someone to remodel your bathroom. This is something pretty darn complex as, a, as, a, as far as uh, projects go. Um, you need a lot of uh, experience. 
Um, it's a big job, and most people do not have anywhere near the experience they need to handle a project like this, um, which is why it's one of the more expensive investments you can make in your home, okay? Uh, but one thing that's pretty easy in this example is communicating your expectations. In fact, it's so easy these days with virtual reality, especially, you know, you can see the finished product before the work's even started. So there's very little chance that what you expect to be done is somehow miscommunicated. You're more likely to have problems with the quality of the work uh, or the contractors didn't show up on time or whatever, what we can classify as performance issues. But from a communication standpoint, it's kind of hard to miscommunicate what you expect done in terms of remodeling. And from the contractor standpoint, in most cases, they're educating their customers anyway and walking them through the process. So there's virtually no chance that the contractor cannot achieve the expectations of the customer. But let's say you work at a company and your boss gives you an assignment that you don't think makes sense uh, or you think cannot be achieved, not by you or anyone else. So this can certainly cause a lot of stress because you have to think to yourself, why would my manager give me such an assignment? Well, the possibilities are, hopefully you're just misunderstanding what the assignment is, um, but a little more serious would be if the manager doesn't understand fully what the assignment entails and perhaps just a simple discussion with him or her about the details and, and why it can't be achieved would fix the issue. Now, a little more serious than that would be if the manager simply disagrees with you and thinks it is achievable. And the most serious, on a more cynical level, perhaps there's some alternative motive. So what to do? Well, First, you have to ask yourself, what are the chances that the manager doesn't quite understand what's involved in this assignment that would make it unachievable? And we're going to get into an example of where a client hires someone to do a job but because the client isn't familiar enough with the kind of work they're hiring for. There's a lot of risk in miscommunicating and having issues and that resulting stress. But in the case of a manager giving a direct report and assignment that can't be achieved, here's, here's an example. Let's say you're an accountant in a company and your manager tells you she would like you to reconcile a suspense account that's been mismanaged for years and has millions of dollars in it. Okay, So just so you understand, for those of you who are not accountants, a suspense account is basically a temporary dumping ground to account for transactions that need further analysis and eventually reclassified to a proper category, either assets and liabilities, expenses, or equity. So suspense accounts technically should be zero. There, there should be no balance because everything should be accounted for properly, right? So by its very nature, you're putting off the research necessary to properly classify things. And so it's very easy for these types of things to, to build up and get out of control if you're not on top of it. So if you're given some big expense account and told to reconcile it, you need the know-how and the ability to research those things and an adequate amount of time. So back to the example, the suspense account has been mismanaged for years and you're tasked with having to research hundreds and hundreds of transactions with no guarantee that you'll be able to uncover everything uh, because it's been so long 
And how could you even, you know, put a time frame on how long it'll take? So in this particular example, chances are your manager knows this. Talking it over with your manager, they're they're probably not going to say, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Uh, just take a week or two then to see what you can uncover and then we'll write off the rest. Okay, that's probably not going to happen because if you have to write off millions of dollars, that's going to require executive approval and someone's going to get in trouble, probably fired. More likely, the result of that discussion will be that the manager either doesn't agree with you or worse, just doesn't care or again, more cynically, an alternative motive. So by having that discussion, there's a high likelihood of a confrontation ensuing. I don't mean physically, but I mean, you know, there being a uh, an unresolved matter. And you may want to instead consider leaving the company because chances are you're not going to be able to complete the assignment and it's going to affect your performance review. And it's not really fair because you don't have control over the types of assignments you're given. And this one is unreasonable. And who would want to work for a manager anyway who, who does that kind of thing, right? Now, let's flip this around. So instead of being on the receiving end of a poorly communicated or unreasonable assignment, as the case may be, um, let's say you're an entrepreneur, non-technical, and you need to outsource something. Here's the thing. If you don't exercise due care in engaging with that professional, that uh, freelancer, contractor, whatever, a lot of stress can come of that. You could end up paying a lot of money for something you could have done yourself without much trouble. You could end up uh, getting something that simply doesn't meet your needs, but you couldn't communicate up front effectively to avoid that outcome. They could give you something pretty good, but it turns out that you can't use it because there was something else that you needed to do first. There may be all kinds of problems if you don't first perform some due diligence. So for example, let's say you need to hire someone to develop a website or a mobile app for your company. That's a pretty fairly common project to outsource. But it's also a very high likelihood that you get something unexpected if you don't do your due diligence. So this includes being aware of what platform options are available. You don't have to be an expert but you do have to be aware. So for example, a developer might say, I'm going to save you so much money if you just do this on Ruby on Rails. Now you don't know what Ruby on Rails is, but you know, sounds good. You know, as long as the application does what you want it to do and it looks good and it does indeed cost you significantly less, well, that's a good deal, right? But what the developer may have failed to mention was, that you could only do shared hosting with one company, one hosting company. And the hosting cost will start out extremely cheap, but that's only because it's it's in a trial period. And the hosting goes up 10 times after that trial period. Oh, and if you decide to, to say, heck with that, you know, I'm going to change hosting companies. Well, good luck because every other hosting company only offers dedicated hosting for Ruby on Rails, which the cost is prohibitive. So you're stuck. You got a mess on your hands. But you also need to know where to look for the right kind of developers. Not too big an agency, not too small. It may take a little while to look around and do a little research on different freelance platforms, other places to check out uh, for the best options. And um, you also really want to spend some time thinking about how to structure 
your working agreement with prospective candidate developers because you want to talk about this up front. For example, so that you're not left wondering how your project is coming along because you haven't heard from the developer in two weeks because inevitably they're busy working on another bigger client's project uh, and they're not very responsive to your emails. So you may want to bring up early on before you know, signing on the dotted line, so to speak, your insistence that part of the deal is they must email you a weekly status. I can tell you from experience that will greatly reduce your stress. Even if they don't comply, well, now it's a non-performance issue because it's in black and white, you know, that they would do this. And you don't have to wait too long to get a little firmer with them because they already agreed to do it. It would also behoove you to have some project management experience, including writing requirements in just such a way that they are specific unambiguous and actionable to the developer, uh, which will reduce the number of defects when you go to test. Speaking of which, you also need to assume that testing role. Of course, the developer will test some, you know, to some extent, but you have to be the one to assume that role and be good at it. And perhaps most important is being a leader, someone who people want to work with, where there's a mutual respect and goodwill, as opposed to relying on some notion of authority or power structure like in a a big company uh, or because you have money. Paying for services alone in this type of example does not guarantee a good outcome. It's not like buying something off the shelf. You're working with another human being and money or not, morale will affect the project depending on your ability to lead. So in summary, you have to become somewhat knowledgeable on the process, whatever it is, uh, just at a high level to effectively engage with and deal with others on whatever project you're doing. You'll gain people's respect that way, and they'll be pleased that you took the time to help make the process as smooth as possible. For example, I hired someone to do my explainer video for the My Stress Alarm app. I don't have the skill set or creativity for that or experience or the specialized software, and I have no interest in getting into that. But I was able to provide, number one, an entire script word for word, which took many hours to write and many revisions to get it right before engaging with the freelancer. From strategy as far as how to explain how My Stress Alarm works and the benefits of chronic stress monitoring, to how to frame it within a story setting, uh, to using the best wording, lean content, to keeping it within a certain time limit, adding the necessary disclaimers, and so on and so forth. All done and contained in in an attached Word doc done. Okay? Now, I could have said, you know what? I don't have time to write this. Uh, I'm doing so many other things. Uh, I'm not a professional writer anyway. I'll just explain to someone else everything and, and they'll write it up better because after all, they're professional writers, you see. But it would have never turned out, you know, really how I needed it to be because you you have to understand the system well enough in order to in order to write a good uh, explanation and, and, and all that. So um, that explainer video, which... I'll add the link to the show notes, was turned around in one day. 
and I had not one revision for them to make. That's how it's done. No stress beyond the actual work necessary, of course. So there are so many ways to avoid stress when dealing with others, when engaging with others. I just gave a few examples that I'm familiar with, but think about your own situations and and goals and and things that you're working on and how you can maybe spend some time up front just thinking through how to engage with others on your day job, your goals, your side hustle, or or wherever your ambitions take you. If you pull the trigger too quickly, a lot of bad things can happen and it becomes frustrating for all involved and your stress goes up. Anyway, um, that's my two cents for this week. I really do value your feedback, so please don't be shy. You can comment on the Perfect Stress Facebook page or always feel free to email me directly at adam at perfectstresscoaching.com. That's it for this week. Stay safe. Wishing you good health and success. And thank you very much for listening. If you have an autoimmune disorder, heartburn, tension headaches, irritable bowel syndrome, high blood pressure, depression, or something else you think is stress-related, please try MyStressAlarm.com today. It's free for a limited time. There's no wearables or sensors needed, and it takes just one minute a day if you're slow. That's MyStressAlarm.com. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning in. And if you'd like to get new episodes automatically, just click subscribe. Also, I'd be much obliged if you left a review or comment. Well, until next time, wishing you good health and success. And remember, stress less to be your best.